0: And I'll start reading in verse 9. So on your notes, uh, the very bottom of the page um, is where we're starting from, uh, which is, again, verse 9. So it reads this way. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ Christ. by triumphing over them in him. So just for a moment, if you will, I think I printed it out. It's at the top of page uh, two on your notes. Uh, There's a similar statement that Paul makes. In 2.9, he says, For in him, speaking of Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Uh, When we were in Colossians chapter 1, if you look at verses 19 and 20, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself To himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So again, as we mentioned last time, Paul writes it that way when he says the whole fullness of deity dwells in him bodily. He is stressing the idea that Jesus is God, that Jesus is divine. Uh, Again, he just wants to make sure that that is uh, stated in the strongest terms possible. Partly because of the false doctrines that were kind of creeping, the, creeping into the church. And then if you, are, if you have any familiarity with church history, that's been an ongoing issue for thousands of years. And there are still those today who would call themselves Christians who cast doubt or say they don't believe that Jesus is God. Then you have various cults who will say that Jesus is the son of God, but he's not God. Primarily that would be Jehovah's Witnesses. They're known for that. But they're not the only ones. So again, when it comes to uh, who we worship, who we serve, who we believe in, Christ is the central issue. And who Christ is, is always of utmost importance. Uh, That's why when an individual uh, says, well, you know, I don't believe all the stuff that Christians say about Jesus, but I believe he was a good man, or I believe he was a good teacher, or I believe that he was spiritual all of that really all those things are statements of rebellion against god because god has identified christ as divine christ has identified himself as being divine we need to remember that as we read the bible there's no option given to an individual to believe or not believe what scripture says we need to make sure that we understand what it says But there is a great deal of the scripture that is really very clear. Uh, And that one, as to who is Jesus Christ, uh, the evidence is overwhelming in many different places as to his divinity. And so an individual must believe that. If they don't believe that, then no matter what they say, they're not a Christian. Period. That's just all there is to it. Um, I think uh, some of you are familiar with this. Uh, We've mentioned it before, but it's been going on now for at least uh, almost 30 years, I think where the Mormon Church has made a really strong effort to identify themselves as being Christians. They didn't used to do that before. Uh, in fact, it probably started in the late 80s when that just that movement kind of just started in the Mormon Church where they wanted to make sure that they spoke about themselves in a different way. Before that, uh, they would never say they were Christians. And of course, Christians said that they weren't Christians. And so then when the Mormons began to change... Uh, Their terminology as far as how they refer to themselves and then stated that they were just maybe another denomination Um, Like you know Presbyterian Mormon uh, Presbyterian Baptist Mormon, whatever that's kind of how they want to propose it then there began to be a lot of um, Confusion and then there's famous Mormons who identify themselves as Christians. I know uh, a lot of people listen to Glenn Beck He's clearly a Mormon. He clearly states. He's a Christian Um, and if you were to talk to him about that and bring up that the Bible states that there are certain things you must believe uh, he, he gets upset um, or he'll kind of cut you off or you know try to find a way to finagle out of that to kind of broaden the definition so that Mormons are included uh, and you know because he's been doing this a long time um, you know he'll he kind of uh, he's not the only one who does this but sometimes this is what happens when individuals are like in that position they will cater to, to your emotions. They, they will either speak passionately or speak in an emotional way. Uh, and the, the, the goal of that is to move the conversation away from logic, away from rational thinking because again, if you, if you go by what the Bible says, we're gonna follow what the Bible says to its logical conclusion. So we're not against emotions. But emotions can be used to manipulate people, to manipulate an argument. Um and so it's almost I'm not saying he does this particularly, but sometimes an individual try to act like they are a victim. People misunderstand me and they don't understand what I am, or they, you know, people have been misrepresenting Mormonism for a long time. And that's maybe people have, but I'm not misrepresenting I And mean, You can study it for yourself. It's not Christian. Uh, and, it's been, and all you have to know is what do they believe about Jesus Christ? You don't have to know all the other things. What uh, do they believe about? They believe that Jesus and Satan were brothers. They believe that um, Jesus is created by God. They believe that Jesus, at one point, because of his goodness, became God, uh, and he is now the God over a particular planet. I can't remember the name of the planet. It begins with a Z. Matt, you remember what it is? Um, I, mean, I mean, I know that sounds like, when you start saying it like that, it sounds very bizarre. It does. Um, but they were saying it in such a way that it doesn't quite sound that bizarre. Um, but, uh, and the whole idea is that um, we then can follow his example, and if we live a good life, a good Mormon life, uh, we would then become gods, uh, you know, little gods. We become god. We a god over our own planet. And and your, then, own planet. Yeah, so your own planet. Yes, <laughs> over your own planet, and it um, kind of goes from there. So anyway. I, I don't mean to go over rabbit yeah. um, It started in the 1800s, I guess, really? I think. Yeah, around there. I'm not really sure. I don't remember anymore. But it's easy to look it up. Um, yeah, Joseph Smith was the, was the first one. He was, a, he was a con man, that's what he was. Uh, but then the one who really pushed the Mormon, the Mormon faith to expand was in Brigham Young. He oh, took right. over when... Um, Joseph Smith died. But anyway. All right, so let me read to you uh, um, a, a comment from Kenneth Wiest. He's the, one, the guy I've mentioned before. He has a collection of books called uh, Greek Word Studies. And so he's talking about the Greek Word. So when you read in verse 9 of chapter 2, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Um, he says that the idea there of fullness is that the, the divinity of Christ is at home permanently in, in Jesus. So it's written in such a way in the Greek so that it's, it's clear that it was never this idea that Jesus is part of God, and it's never this idea that Jesus became God, but that he is God, and he is fully God. All right? So when we talk about the Trinity, uh, we believe that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are each, even though there's three persons uh, in one being, they're each fully God. They each have a role. Uh, there's obviously perfect harmony, but they're each fully God. Um, so when it comes again to the, with the Trinity, remember that for all of us, we are still learning about the Trinity. No one has a full comprehension of the Trinity because the Trinity is encompassed in the infinite God. We're finite. So we may understand it better than we did before. But the main reason we believe it is because the Scripture clearly teaches that, and we believe what the Scripture says. Um, And so uh, that's why we you talk about the Triune God, or the the word because the word Trinity itself doesn't appear in the Bible. Uh, But again, the Bible clearly teaches that. And there's a lot of uh, again online. You know, you can get in trouble online because there's a lot of junk on there um, when it comes to theological things. But there's also a lot of really good resources if you want to study particular aspects of Christianity. Uh, you, you can find some really good stuff. And if you're ever unsure, uh, there's plenty of individuals that you can text your email just to ask them, is, is this place solid? Can I trust it? So you can, you can text me, you can text Matt, uh, you can text Tom, you can text Steve Posner. There's a lot of individuals. Uh, and even if you're unfamiliar with it, we can go to that website and check it out. It only takes a few minutes, normally, to figure out if a website is solid or not. Um, to make sure that, we're not gonna be, that you're not going to be led astray. But there's a lot of just fantastic resources that are there that are available to us. So anyway, going on with this idea that the fullness of, of, of the divinity of Christ is at home permanently in Jesus. He goes on and says, At home in the sense that this divine fullness was not something that was added to his being, that was not natural to him, but that it was part of his essential being, as part of his very constitution, and that permanently. Uh, so again, for in Him the fullness of deity dwells. So I want to talk probably for the rest of the night um, the term in Him. It's a term that Paul uses a great deal, um, whether it's in Him or in Christ. Uh, it's the same idea, and that is talking about the uh, the relationship we have with Christ, with the union we have with Christ. In the Greek language, the phrase in him is placed at the at the very beginning of the sentence. And that's because that's what Paul is emphasizing, is that aspect of being in Christ. Um, so again, in Jesus is all the sufficiency that we need in time, our time on earth, or for eternity. So the idea is that we don't want to be deluded. Uh, we don't want to let some slick scholar take our mind captive with some new teaching or deeper truth. Uh, Paul is teaching uh, here about what it means to be in Christ and if we follow that, we're not going to go wrong. So again, tying together with that the idea of fullness of deity, it means that the Godhead, essentially, perfectly, the very personality of God, and it also properly denotes the divine nature. It includes all the attributes and perfections of God. So when we talk about this unity we have with Christ, again, we're not just being unified with the man who's achieved a great deal. We're not, we're not being united with an individual who's blazing the trail and we can follow his example. We follow his example, but that's because his example is perfect. It's not that he's attained Godhood, and if we follow him, we attain Godhood. We can't attain Godhood. The idea is that we need to grow in righteousness, but the needs that we have, the deficiencies that we have, are met in the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So think of it in this way when it when it comes to who we are as people uh, back in the 70s is when this really started as far as uh, the books that were written there began to be a very big emphasis on books written by psychology or psychologists for the average person so the, the reason why that began, began to be a really big issue was people were kind of getting into more self-reflection more introspection uh, there was this idea that we, that we needed to and we wanted to improve ourselves. Uh, whether you were talking about spirituality or just becoming more disciplined, there, began, there was this movement that's grown massively in our society. Uh, if you watch, I guess, old news uh, shows from the 1960s, you don't hear them ever psychologically analyzing anybody. That's just normal nowadays. And they all throw around terms that they've learned from what we would call pop psychology. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about some criminal, and, you know, maybe the reporter will ask the chief of police, was he a sociopath? But they didn't ask that before, and no one even knew what that was. There's no such thing. All right, so we have all these labels. Labels can be helpful, but there is this big push, and so there's been a big push, um, there began to be a big push within Christianity in that area, and it really began to mess with, I think, and really dilute the teaching of the scripture. But the part that's important about all of that is it, psychology and psychology began to recognize that as complex beings, you know, there's the aspect of our personality, there's our, there's our emotional health, there's the way that we think. Uh, then there's the dynamic between the way that we think and the way we feel and how those things interact, how we are motivated both intellectually and emotionally. Uh, and so the emotional aspect of, of, the, of mankind was really being dissected and then trying to answer the questions as to why do we do certain things why do we live this way why did I choose this even to the point of not only why did so-and-so kill these people but why do you like blue I mean it just continues to go on and on with all these kinds of things Um, but what we recognize is that we do have we all have a lot of needs. Now, when I say that, it doesn't mean that you're needy and you walk around all day whining and crying because you're incomplete. But the idea is, is that um, sin has so affected us that the way that we respond to the world around us, uh, sometimes we, we don't respond, maybe often, we don't respond the way we should. You know, In general, we can easily begin to feel sorry for ourselves. Uh, there are some individuals, we use these terms, we we'll say, well, so-and-so is a drama queen. What do you mean by that? Well, what we, th- what we think, maybe many people think, is that individual blows little things out of proportion. And so they're unable to respond or live right or, or react accordingly because they're making such a big deal out of things that maybe are really are small. Then on the other hand, there's individuals who we might say they live in denial, where there's some big thing going on and they're pretending that there's no problem, that everything is okay, and that there's nothing they need to address in their life. Um, and so this, the, the list of things just really expands. So with that, also came the idea that if you really wanted to get on track with your life and have a full life or satisfying life, uh, the big push for a long time used to be everybody had to go to therapy. But of course, only the rich could afford to do that. Um, And so insurance companies began to change. And so you could get therapy and the insurance would pay for it. And all different kinds of things would happen. So what, what what we need to do as Christians is we need to go back to the Bible and we need to ask ourselves some questions. And that is this. God created us in his image. God knows us better than anybody. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows how sin has affected us, and he knows what we need. And again, what he has said to us in 2 Peter chapter 1 is everything we need for life and godliness is in the knowledge of Christ. It really is there. So as we grow as Christians, it is then common for us to also notice, whether it's in ourselves or others, we notice others begin to mature. Not just spiritually, the whole person matures. They mature emotionally. They, began to think, they begin to think different. They begin to react different. They begin to handle their emotions different. One of the indicators that either our, our growth is stunted or that we're not growing as we should is we still act in certain ways after we've been a believer, let's say, for 10 years. So in other words, if an individual has a... Uh, an anger problem and they just fly off the handle like, I mean, just like, it doesn't take much and they just go off. The norm is if that person's been a believer for 10 years, that doesn't happen. Now, it doesn't mean he's totally conquered anger. Some do. It doesn't mean that he doesn't fly off the handle anymore, but it's no longer at the drop of a hat. It's much more controlled. Also, whatever fits he has are shorter in length and he or she Recovers faster in the sense that they admit that they're wrong, begin to make amends right away. They handle everything differently. So you can see that, that maturing that takes place. For the individual who feels sorry for themselves, for whatever the reason, if they, and maybe, and, and of course, we want to be understanding, sometimes people do have really horrific backgrounds. And psychology sometimes makes a real big deal about that to where it's like you are now, because of your background, you're going to be dealing with stuff for the rest of your life. Okay, I don't, I don't buy that. It may be for a long time, but there's still going to be growth. So that doesn't mean that whatever ever happened in your past isn't going to leave scars. It will. You may still have what, they, what people say. they. Well, I'm always going to have trust issues. Well, you might. But you're going to grow, and you're going to begin to be able to take the risk to, to trust certain people in your life because you're maturing as a believer. You don't have to live in fear because you know Christ. That really does make a difference in your life. Understanding the sovereignty of God, understanding theology, helps you as a believer to not live in fear. Um, There is someone we can turn to regardless of our difficulties and struggles and troubles. So then when you begin to get into this idea that Paul brings out, that we have this relationship with Christ where there is this unity that we have, this intimate unity that we have with Christ, that I am never alone. Never. Never. I would never be alone. For, for the rest of my existence, I will never be alone. Christ really is with me. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever done this. If, if, you were, if you were a believer when you had kids, there were times that I would teach my children that. That, you know, when, even, when, even when dad's not here, you know you're not alone. It can be scary, but you're not alone. God really is with you. He really is here. Uh, God really does watch over us. Then, of course, you have the the difficult task through the years, teaching them that just because God is with you doesn't mean nothing bad ever happens. But we we want them to mature to understand what what does it mean that he's here and watching over us and he's always with us and all these kinds of things that are going on, that nothing happens by accident. But you know, kids actually can handle quite a bit. If you take the time to teach your children, they can learn a lot uh, and they will be prepared for the world. So they're, because part of the idea of, Raising our children to be godly is also this. So, so they don't fall apart when they're betrayed by a friend. It still hurts. It's still a horrible situation. They may still get angry, but their life doesn't fall apart because they've been rejected by this individual. Right? Um, how many, I don't know if you, I don't know how many of you actually do much reading about serial killers. I've read a few things. But anyway, uh, sometimes there's individuals, when they, when they start their killing spree, uh, it's not unusual to hear of individuals doing that because, well, this man, when he was a teenager, was rejected by this girl he liked. And then he was going after the girl, and he's rejected by her. And then pretty soon, you know, what happens is, you know, the guy basically kind of becomes psycho, and, you know, he wants to control people. And so he reacts, obviously, very wrongly and begins to kidnap Individuals, or he begins you know, and maybe kills them, whatever's going on, those things begin to happen because this individual is unable to handle what we would call the normal aspects of life. It would be great if we live in a world where no one gets rejected, and that doesn't happen, that's going to happen. And so we want our children to be able to handle that kind of thing. And the best way is, I, you know, the goal again for the believer is not to raise children that are psychologically well-adjusted, is to raise children that understand the relationship they have with the Lord, and they will be psychologically adjusted. That's the idea. If the individuals, if you are only trained to be psychologically adjusted, the hu- human strength can only last so long. Right? There's only so much we can accomplish apart from Christ. And we're not going to go well because sin is powerful. We are unable to overcome sin on our own. But if our goal is to help to raise them uh, in the counsel of God, then all these other things are gonna take place. They're going to be able to handle life uh, much better than they would if you weren't training them. So we wanna make sure we get back into this concept of of the fullness of of deity. The word that's used here for deity is only found in only one place, which is here in Colossians. Um, It refers to the essence and the nature of the Godhead. So it's not just, I guess you would say, just the perfections of Christ or just the attributes of Christ. He's trying to get us to understand that it's more than that, than that. So Christ, as a man, was not merely God-like, but he was, in the fullest sense, God. So again, that, that's a very important aspect of what we have going on with the Spirit of God that, that indwells us, the Spirit of Christ, is it is all of God. It's not a piece of God. It's not a portion. It's none of those things. It's, it's all that God is, and which is really a remarkable thing uh, when you think about it. Um, the, the phrase there, that this dwells bodily in Christ, it is present tense. So that signifies, again, that Jesus has always been and always will be God. He will never cease to be God. So that's why we can say that we know that Christ will never let us down. Again, the Gnostics back then were saying that Jesus was not fully God and he was not fully man. Uh, and that's why I mentioned to you before that through the years, as theologians were trying to hash out what does the Bible say, one of the ideas that they actually pretty early on immediately rejected was that Jesus was basically half man, half God, or that he was 50% one, 50% of the other. They realized that this does not really embody who Jesus was. And so they, they knew early on either he's not God or he is. That's, that's what it comes down to. And when and when we come to the idea that He's God, He's 100% man, 100% God. So when I, so when you and I are praying, or we're going through difficulty, or we're depending upon Christ to help us through, then because He's fully man, we know that He fully understands. All right. So it's not just an intellectual understanding, though. In God, an intellectual understanding doesn't mean He comes short, but because as human beings, you know, just like just like uh, when, when you and I are talking to a friend, let's say that. Uh, Let's say that you've been diagnosed with cancer and there's a lot of unanswered questions. Often what's helpful is speaking to an individual who's already been through that because they understand the range of emotions. So it doesn't mean that others can't help you because I, just by the way, I do not buy into that the only people who can help you are those who've been through what you've been through. That's, that's, that's not right, however, we more easily identify with an individual that we know has been through what we what we now are going through, and it maybe it, it kind of breaks down some barriers, and we're more attuned to what they're saying. And so they may say the same thing that someone else says, but because they've lived through it, it's, it carries a little more, you know, uh, weight to what they're saying. So when it comes to Christ, I know that God understands me; He made me. But when I read in the Scripture that Christ was tempted in every way that a man can be tempted. Then when when I'm depending on the Lord to help me get through temptation, I know that I'm not dealing with a stoic, you know, drill sergeant who doesn't really care how I feel and is waiting with a stick to whack me the moment I mess up. What I know is I have a very powerful being who, who understands exactly my weakness and he sympathizes with my weakness. Now, that doesn't mean he gives me an excuse, Okay, that ain't coming. Right. But he understands. And that understanding is really important because he knows how hard that that can be at times. And so this union we have with Christ then, it, should, it becomes more and more important. That's why we often talk about and we want to stress the importance of, of uh, deepening our walk with the Lord or our relationship with the Lord. Because the better we know the Lord, the more we easily depend upon him for help. Same thing happens in a marriage, right? When two people get married, they may even know a lot about each other, but when they begin to live life together and they go through difficulties together as well as good things together, then the bond is, is becomes normally much more cemented and they know that person better and so they're, they're even a, a, better, a bigger help because there's that understanding that goes there. At least that's what's supposed to happen. Um, Uh, sometimes what will happen is, just on the other side of the coin, sometimes bad times will come and the Lord will allow those to come so he can show you the deficiencies in your marriage. Uh, And you want to make sure you're... And the answer is not to get divorced. The answer is not to say, well, obviously, they don't care for me. That's not how you deal with it. Uh, The idea is for you guys to work on each other. But I I think it's interesting, in a sad way, that... um, and I don't know what the percentage is, and I, I'm not even sure if I've even seen the percentage, but I do know this, that in a large number, whatever that number is, that in a large percentage of cases where a child is kidnapped and the parents never find out what happened, which is, to me, one of the worst things that you'd ever experienced in your entire life, it is better if they find the body and you know they're dead than to never know anything because there's all kinds of things that we know can be happening and it'll drive you nuts. I mean, literally, it'll drive you nuts. And I'm not sure how most individuals get through that. But in those very cases, it is not unusual that even though the parents come together in trying to find their child, all the, you know, all the struggles they go through in the beginning, as years go by, many of them divorce. And people say, well, it was just too much for them. No. That's not what it is. It's not too much for them. It reveals that there was some very serious weaknesses in their relationship from before. That's very sad. And and a lot of people don't want to say that because it sounds like we're being really mean. You know, well, you're just trying to blame someone. So I'm not trying to blame anybody. Remember that when two people fall apart, it's both of them's fault. The percentage of responsibility may not be the same. It doesn't matter. Even if it's 80-20, right, it doesn't matter. The point is is that when they need each other the most they were there for a little while and then they separated and that's very very sad so the idea is is that that what we have with christ is we have an individual who's never going to turn on us never going to reject us who's always going to be there who always knows what's best who even knows what's going to happen before we do because he knows everything's going to happen in the future and he will meet our needs perfectly and so just having that knowledge alone enables us as human beings to deal with and then live with sometimes very difficult circumstances, it enables us to do that, so there 's a very real strength uh, that, that, come, that that we are given, so that 's not what you would call a placebo effect you know that 's not where you know, the doctor gives you a sugar pill and you think it's good for your pain, and because you think it is, your pain goes away, even though your pain didn 't go away and the placebo effect is really very powerful, it is so powerful. Um, I was reading a book on the placebo effect. It really was interesting. And so they did this experiment. They took 12 people who needed knee replacement. So this is not some, oh, my stomach hurts. <laughs> they, they, they've got, they know what's going on with the knee. So they, they had, and they all agreed to be a part of this experiment. So there were, I think there was 24, 12 in each group. So they all had surgery. One group, they, they cut open the knee and sewed it back up. The other one, they cut open the knee, replaced the joint. But everybody was convinced they were given a knee replacement they had them all go through therapy here's the amazing thing all of these individuals who needed a replacement they were in very serious pain pain that was so bad that you could tell by the way they walked I and mean, because it was the pain was insane all 24 for the first three to six months no pain the individuals who had bone on bone knee joints filled with arthritis and all this junk because i have had that were doing fine. Eventually, they began to experience the pain again and realized they did not have the knee replacement. But for six months, these individuals had very real physical pain. It was gone because they thought their knee had been... I mean, that's just amazing. So the placebo effect can be very, very powerful. But the great news is, is that In the strength that we gain from the knowledge that we have of Christ and the relationship we have with Christ it is very powerful and makes a difference in the life of the individual Uh, and so now there's no need to panic Uh, we are we are free to make better decisions we uh, there's just a lot of positive things that come out of that in the midst of troubles Um, and so that's one of the reasons why Paul continues to, to really hone in on that because he, what he understands, and what the Bible clearly understands, is that life is filled with bumps and bruises. We live in a world that's, been, that's, that's under the curse of sin. And bad things are going to happen. It doesn't mean that the worst things are going to happen to you, but bad things are going to happen. Right? We, we know that uh, Christians as well as non-Christians get kidnapped. Christians as well as non-Christians get murdered. Christians as well as non-Christians get, get uh, rare forms of cancer. And everything else that's in between. That happens to all of us. Um, I, read, uh, I was reading the story about Chuck Colson, and uh, he ended up having uh, cancer. I think it was either on his tongue or his throat. Anyway, his doctor told him that for, he was going to have to have surgery, and for six months he wouldn't be able to speak. That's how he made his living. That's how he promoted the ministry he was in. He had to be able to talk. He was, I mean, he was, he was livid. And, but his doctor was a Christian, and his doctor said, well, I'm going to share with you, whether you want to hear it or not, why I think God uh, allowed you to get cancer. And, of course, Chuck was like, well, what is it? And he just said, he said, I'm convinced that pretty much for every non-believer who gets cancer, God allows a believer to get cancer so the world can see the difference. He says, don't let people down. They're watching you because they want to know if Christ is real or not. And, of course, Chuck wrote in his book that kind of put him in his place uh, kind of a thing because he was definitely feeling sorry for himself through his anger. Uh, And so we want to make sure that as we go through these things, we're not dealing with something that's just small. It's not just something psychological. It's not a psychological game. It's not a psychological formula. Um, In fact, a lot of individuals have actually used the Bible, and they've done that. They've developed psychological formulas, both believers and non-believers, coming out of the Bible. So what we want to recognize is that's not what this is, because we're dealing with the real person. We're dealing with Christ himself. And this union we have with Christ is a very real union. So, um, again, because of who he is, that gives greater strength and greater depth to verse 10, which we will get to eventually, which says, And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And, of course, the term there is that's important, is in him. The New American Standard says, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. So, in the Greek verse, in verse 10, in the Greek, it also begins with in him, because it emphasizes its importance. So this phrase, officially, is this. It designates the believer's vital union with Christ, who is our life. Because of our union with Christ, Every single spiritual need that we have is fully met. Possessing him, we possess all we need for life and godliness. The Colossians needed to understand their position and their possessions in Christ so that they would be able to resist the persuasive arguments of empty philosophy, mosaic ritual, and the worship of angels. The Colossians needed to rest in the truth that all they needed was found in Jesus Christ. So, if you have, I gave you actually two weeks ago is that long quote you may have already read it Uh, i'm going to read it to you now it's by uh wh.d thomas he was a a preacher and he talks about that phrase in him and it reads this way he says the phrase in him very plainly shows that the source of all spiritual power lies in the union of the soul with christ now let me just stop there for just a moment because there's one more thing i want to emphasize when it comes to psychology in a whole field, okay, mental health and all, that, mental, you know, all, that, all those things, emotional <clears> health, <throat> mental health remember the word psychology itself means the study of the soul, because the Greek word for soul is psyche.? All right? So I believe that secular psychology is man's attempt to deal with spiritual things about the man, spiritual things that, that affect us in a secular way. The Bible is the singular best book on psychology. It's not pop psychology. it's not secular psychology. It's real and proper psychology based on who Christ is. So when we talk about um, spiritual power, I do not think it's wrong for us to also think in terms of emotional and mental power, the, the state of the inner man, the whole thing. So this is not separated. So if you have difficulty with anxiety, or if you have difficulty with depression or sadness, or you have those types of things, then this is all about what's going on in us. That is not a separate thing, right? That is is, is what this is, and we need to recognize that uh, so we can really appreciate and have available to us all the resources that we really have in Christ. So he goes on. He says, um, so again, that the source of all spiritual power lies in the union of the soul with Christ, but not only so, we are circumcised and buried and raised and made alive with him, suggesting a spiritual fellowship. All this is associated with a definite confidence in God as the object of our trust and as the source of all spiritual blessing. Scripture is very emphatic in regard to the way in which faith links us to God as the means of obtaining grace and power. Thus, at every point, Christ and the believer are identified. When our Lord was circumcised, we were circumcised with him. When our Lord died, we died in him. When he was buried we were buried when he rose we were raised and when he was quickened we were quickened to these great truths we may add that when he ascended we ascended and as in one of the parallel passages in ephesians 2 now that he is at the right hand we are seated with him in heavenly places in this spiritual unity will be found the only guarantee of faithful adherence to what is true and of fearless abhorrence of what is false This emphasis on the spiritual life as distinct from mere knowledge and even philosophy will be found as potent today as ever. When faced with ideas which under specious guises of one sort or another tend to lead us astray, it is not too much to urge that a careful attention to a passage like this one will do more than anything else to protect against them. Thus old errors which continue to appear in new forms may be met and vanquished, just as in St. Paul's day. Yes, union with Christ affects both thought, the full exercise of mental powers and actions, the translation of thought into redeemed, victorious living. So the idea is that we can have what the world is looking for. The world is looking for uh, contentment. They're looking for inner peace. They are looking really for not happiness, though they will use that word, they want something more than that, and the Christian's word is that's the word joy. Right? Joy would be uh, if you combine being happy and peace and contentment together, that's joy. Right? It's, it's very deep. It's something that is not affected uh, by circumstances. Happiness is, but joy is not. Um, it, never, it will never leave us as, as a believer because of this relationship that we have with Christ. So it's important then that we recognize that and, that and we then kind of drink in all these things that Paul is telling us and what's being expressed um, by these writers about what we, what we have as believers and what we possess as believers. We really are complete in him. So that's why when we talk about Christ healing the inner man, so the individual again who comes from uh, a broken home and There can be feelings of uh, um, unstableness or insecurity because the most important unit in your life was so dysfunctional it broke apart. That can create uh, in an individual an adverse emotional reaction to that that you can carry around with you. That can be healed by Christ because the person of Christ will never abandon you He's able to heal that because we also then begin to gain understanding as to why those things take place. It's not centered on me. Yes, maybe my dad left the home and maybe he says he left because I was born. But I understand that he was running away from God. He was running away from the responsibility God gave him and a bunch of other junk. And so, yes, I still was deeply affected negatively by that, maybe in a lot of ways, but I don't have to carry that around for the rest of my life. Because there is one who is closer than a brother. My Heavenly Father will never abandon me at any time in my life, and He will bring about that healing. And we know that when it comes to when the Bible discusses what love does, true love does heal. It does. We have seen stories, we maybe have seen it, maybe we've experienced it, when a child has been rejected by their family, and maybe they've been passed on from one foster home to another. And they end up at a home where they're actually loved. And there's a transformation that can often take place. And it's amazing. And sometimes those individuals turn out to a, you would never know what happened. How does that happen? Well, that, that really is the power of love. That, there really is a healing that is there. It's a healing of, of the emotions. Um, when it comes to whatever's going on in our lives psychologically, for whatever is going, has gone on in the past, there is a, there is a very real healing that's in Christ. It's not, all, again, it's not always the same for everybody. We all are, are built differently um, emotionally and mentally and intellectually. And for some, they'll grab on to, to it right away. Others, it may take time, but there's going to be progress in their life as they focus on Christ and what the scripture says. And so the more we learn about Christ and who he is and what he is and how he loves us and cares for us. And again, all that was just, it's not just words, it was demonstrated. You know, what we, what we sometimes forget is even though we kind of know this, is Jesus really did come to earth to live his life on our behalf. He really did do that. When he came to die for us, yes, he he did literally. He actually died for me because it wasn't just the concept of sin that he died for. He was punished for my sins. All the garbage that I've done in my life, he actually was punished on my behalf for, for that. God treated him as if he had done those things and thought those things. And not just what I have done, but all those who believed. I mean, that's, that's, that's insane. So God has, you know, as the scripture says in Romans, God has demonstrated his love for us. So it's not just words um, that are out there just to kind of, again, to make us feel better psychologically. It was, it was an event that really took place. And as a result of that, you know, when we talk about eternal life, that's not just something that we talk about when we're at a funeral, so we can feel better psychologically and get through a difficult time. That's re- what we as Christians believe is that's reality. Right? In the same way that I know that Disney World really does exist in Florida, in a, very, in a much more real way, there really is a place called heaven, and people really do go there. Amen. Right? And the price has already been paid for. Amen. And so I'm going, and I'm not going. And again, great, it's great news to know that my success or lack of success in living the Christian life, does not keep me out of heaven, Amen. because I'm saved by God's grace. And man, that's, that's incredible. So all these things have been done for us, so we then are able to overcome these things from our past. And then when it comes to you know, all of the different types of reasons why people, whether, whether it's abusing drugs, abusing alcohol, or maybe abusing people, you know, people can dissect that and get all these psychological reasons, and they all may be right and accurate. But then, how do you deal with all those things? So if you identify them, great. Now what? You know, I said, well, you know, if you were abused by your dad, it's really important for you to so you can confront him, so you can put that behind you. But what if your dad's dead? What about those people? they're stuck. Or or, or one psychologist said, whether well, you need to go to their to their graveside, you need to yell at the tombstone. Okay. So are you telling me that if I yell at the tombstone, then all, my feeling, all that's going to go away? Because it doesn't. You can get it out of you that day, and you might even feel better for getting it out, and then a week from now, or two weeks from now, guess what? It's all still there. It does not go away. But Christ actually can remove that from us, and we can become completely different. And we, you know, we hear about it. We like hearing stories about individuals' lives have changed. We like that. We like seeing individuals, or maybe there was some guy or someone, some lady you know that you grew up with, and you knew that that person was a real rascal. To be nice, and you say, "I just can't believe what they're like now." Um, in fact, sometimes you know there are a lot. There are some individuals. Maybe there's quite a few now, uh, but there's but I, but I've heard stories of individuals who are pastors who basically say that because their past was so bad that even though God has transformed their life and. They're, they're, they're good pastors. They can't pastor in their hometown because the memory that everybody else has, they don't lose. Yeah. And, they, and when they see you, they don't, they, they don't see anything else. They just, they can't get by it. But that person can go somewhere else. And when we hear the story, you know, someone comes here and we hear, oh yeah, this guy was this, 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 and this. Man, we think that's, man, that's fantastic. Yeah. Every now and then, somebody can go back home. And that's great. Um, you know, sometimes believers have a hard time even in their own families. You know, your own family, they know you. And they know what you were like before. And you know what? They may not be so willing to forgive. And we still have, we, so we have to suffer with that. But even in that, Christ gives us comfort. He gives us the strength and the resiliency that we need to continue to put up with that as we continue to pray for them and ask that the Lord to open their eyes. And in some cases, the Lord does. Absolutely. In some cases, that doesn't happen. But you know what? The Lord is still with you he is not leaving you because they refuse to forgive and again that makes a major difference uh, in our lives it helps us to be strong it helps us to be the individual uh, that that's able to make a stand regardless of what the situation is um, because the the inner man has truly been transformed by christ and we are now functioning much more closer to the image of god uh, than we were before we came to christ so this, this thing, you know, what we read here, and there's a lot of other places, a lot of other individuals who spent some time thinking about what it means to be in him or be in Christ. Uh, there's a lot of great things uh, written on that. It's good stuff to read uh, and just kind of to think about, just kind of let it, you know, kind of percolate in your mind. So again, in verse, uh, verse 10, he also says about that, he says, you have been filled, or he says, you have been made complete. So the idea here is that we've been completely filled. Uh, The implication is that um, one is to be totally controlled uh, by the Spirit. Uh, And so that gets into where we've spent a little bit of time before talking about uh, being led by the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit. It's not that you are a robot. The idea is that you are submitting yourself to what the Word of God says. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live in obedience to, to uh, what the scripture says. And the Holy Spirit also gives us compassion. Uh, remember that the Bible says in Romans that God has poured his love in our hearts. So we do have the ability. You have the capacity anyway. You have the capacity to love those who have hurt you deeply. Because God has poured his love in your heart. He didn't say he sprinkled it. said he poured it. Okay, So, so we can bask in the love that God has for us, but we also have the ability and the strength to love others. We are able to look beyond what they've done to us. And that is not pretending they didn't hurt us. I was talking to a lady once, and uh, she was abused by her father sexually for a long time. Uh, she'd been growing as a believer. She became a believer in her 20s. And uh, she said that she had wanted to confront her dad. And we talked about that, and I told her, I said, now, you know, that may not go well. He may not admit anything. And I said, you have to be ready for that. And she goes well how do i get ready i said well i said uh you're a christian so you asked the lord to give you strength to give you his grace to give you wisdom uh with we all those things i said i can't predict what's going to happen and how you're going to feel um, i would assume you're not going to feel good maybe maybe even some anger if he refuses to admit certain things i said but but you do have the strength because christ is in you and so she uh um she she confronted her dad of course he came very well not of course but he did become very angry um he uh because he didn't want to talk about it he just wanted to pretend it didn't happen and of course she reminded him that no it, it did happen so she was made stronger because of her relationship with christ that she could deal with that uh without like breaking down right there in front of him she, she was able to keep her composure um and and basically not not allow him to go around the issue or to change the subject whatever she was able to stand her ground so to speak and say she she said i want you to know whether you admit this or not she goes i'm commanded by god to forgive you and and i'm not to hold that against you any longer and she said for all these years i've not talked to you because i couldn't do that but she said god has so changed my heart that i i now know that i actually can and and she told me that you know, he basically, I mean, he cussed her out, what he did um, when she said that. And she told me, she said, you know, she said, I would have thought that I would have exploded in anger. Because she said she carried a lot of anger for a long time. And even at times would daydream about confronting him. And if he didn't, you know, say what she wanted him to say, you know, how she would either hit him or throw something at him or, you know, something like that, just to, you know, whatever. And she said, when he, when he cussed her out, she said, at that precise moment, she says she just felt this unbelievable wave of calmness. She says, It had to be the Lord. What else could it be? She goes, There's no way that came from me. And uh, of course, the, in this situation, the great news is about three or four years after that, he ended up uh, being witnessed to by another believer, uh, and it was a man. Who had been an inmate in the in, in the jail there? He actually done prison time. He had molested his daughter and had come to Christ and had and he had gone to his daughter and asked for forgiveness. And of course, she wanted nothing to do with him. And after many many years, she ended up coming around. She became a believer and they had this relationship and all those types of things. And so he was sharing the gospel with this guy, and he he said his sin just hit him like it had never hit him before, um, and it just. You know, he, he said, I think he, I think he told her he wept like every day for like days and days. And He says, I, I'm not saying this for you to feel sorry for me. He says, I know I can never make up for, for what I did. And he goes, that was the worst part is to know you can never make up for that. You can't take it back. So you are in an impossible situation. The only thing that, that you can do is, and, and, what you, and you don't deserve it, but what you desperately need is the way to get out of that and that's to be forgiven. And that is one of the and so forgiveness is one of the most one of the greatest gifts that god has given us not only that he's forgiven us but he's given us he gives us the ability he gives us the capacity to forgive others that happens because we mature in christ and because we are in him and so that's that is what is able to bring that whole thing about and so again far from being a psychological ploy and all those things uh we're getting down to the real nitty-gritty of of life and you know the relationship with people that we have and the relationships with some people that we no longer have and all those kinds of things um and christ knows and understands all of that and uh he is you know sometimes people talk about they use this phrase say well you know sometimes we want to deal with things but we just don't want to get down and get dirty well he did that he took on human flesh okay the the omniscient, omnipresent God took on human flesh, and he and he, with all of our limitations, and was tempted in sin, like in every part, as the Bible says. Yet without sin, uh, remember that when again when he experienced death on the cross, um, it was not that because he was God he was able to, um, in a divine way, dull the pain. He didn't do that. He experienced all the pain that any, any human being would experience in what he'd experienced. And if you've ever read anything or heard anyone talk about the kinds of things that happen to the body at crucifixion, it really is, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it really is insane. And uh, so um, it just kinda, I think it helps us to have a, maybe a, a deepening appreciation uh, for all that Christ has done for us. And if you think about this for a little while, you also know this, that there, there would never be enough time For us to ever thank god enough for what he's done and the good news is is he doesn't ask us to he doesn't say that when you thank me enough there's another blessing for you all the blessings that he's going to give us he gives us knowing we can never thank him enough and that's okay he's okay with that because his love for us is so great so we will continue on with that as well next week um i trust that there's plenty for you to chew on for a while and think about when it comes to who Christ is, and what he's done for us, and really what can, what can happen to us and for us in this relationship that we have with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as always, from the bottom of our heart, for your goodness to us and your grace. Father, we ask that you help us to, to spend some time thinking about the union we have with Christ, this vital union that we have, and what it really means. We pray, Lord, that you would open up our minds and our hearts to begin to grasp Maybe just in small sections at first, uh, the depth of what this means for us as human beings. Father, we thank you. Because even, even in all the imperfections that we had when you saved us, we still possess so many imperfections. And yet, Lord, you don't grow tired of us. You will never reject us. You'll never say to us that you've had enough. None of those things apply because of your great goodness and your eternal patience for your children. So, Father, we ask now that as we are dismissed, that you would guide and watch over us. Pray, Lord, you would cause us to think about you and what you've done often. And, Lord, we look forward to gathering together on Sunday as believers, that we may be encouraged as we come together to give you the reverence and the worship that you so rightly deserve. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.